good morning. Welcome to Dig Deep. Well, I have to tell you all that last week after our Dig Deep meeting, I met up with my husband here. He brought our two-year-old with him and we did the handoff as we do every week. And then I had to head out to run some errands, including Target. And I don't know if you guys remember, but last Tuesday was a particularly windy day. Do you remember how windy it was last Tuesday? And so I was in the Target parking lot and getting my diaper bag out of the front seat of my van and the wind caught my door and blew it, wham, into the car that I was parked next to. So I muttered a few words under my breath and then I tried to survey the damage. And thankfully there was no actual dent, but there was a large scuff of my silver paint on their blue paint. So I took out a baby wipe and tried my best to buff it out. And when that didn't work, I had a decision to make. And so I decided to do nothing and reward myself with a Starbucks. And I wish I was lying, but that's really what I did. I went into Target, and I felt a little guilty, but I had lots of good arguments. I was arguing with myself and, and said, you know what? It really was the wind's fault. It wasn't my fault. And this person had a lot of dents and dings in their car. And so I thought, if I leave this person a note, then they're probably going to try to get my insurance to cover all this damage that I didn't do. And then it hit me that I had just finished speaking on apologizing to someone when you wrong them. And so I had another decision to make. And I decided to just drink my Starbucks and flick the angel off my shoulder and browse in Target. But I did tell God, sort of half-heartedly, that if that car was still there when I came out, that I would leave a note. I'm sorry, guys. That was as good as my obedience was going to be that day. I'm, I'm embarrassed about it. And so even though I spent probably way too much time browsing in Target, wouldn't you know it, that little blue Corolla was still there when I came out. And so I wrote a note. I actually wrote three notes because I realized the first two were not good apologies. And again, this was all very fresh in my mind. So I wrote a note and left my phone number and all day I was dreading getting a phone call. And I didn't hear anything from this person until that evening. And I just want to read you the text that I got. Hi, Jessica. This is Aisha. You left a note on my car at Target. Just wanted to let you know that it's totally OK and, I, and that I appreciate you taking the time out to leave a note. The world needs more people like you. I have to agree. No, I'm just kidding. And then she said, and then smiley face, thank you. Happy holidays. How cool is Aisha? You guys, that's what forgiveness is. That is a beautiful picture of forgiveness. Forgiveness is not some ethereal, distant concept. Forgiveness is a tangible, practical exchange between two people. Forgiveness is saying to the other person, the debt that you owe me is canceled. Debt canceled. So last week we focused on verses 17 and 18 of Romans chapter 12, and Paul pointed out that when we wrong each other, there's a very real debt that is owed between two people. He says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. There's a sense of monetary exchange or a tangible price that needs to be paid. And so if you hit someone's car, like I did, you are responsible for paying to repair it. But Aisha, by forgiving me, was saying, I will either pay for the damage myself or I will live with this damage that's been done to my car. 
That's what forgiveness looks like on a very practical level. So today we are looking at the final verses of Romans 12 and continuing to see that some of the most distinct marks of transformation on our lives will show up in the way that we relate to those who have wronged us. So let's open up to Romans chapter 12. We're going to read verses 17 and 18 again. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. And so you can hear that same language of repayment coming up again in verse 19. God is saying, you don't repay that person. I'm going to settle the debts of all of humanity. He says, do not take revenge. Now, I don't know what you think of when you hear the word revenge, but I usually picture some Hollywood plot line with a master plan, this grand scheme to get back at the villain once and for all, to set things right, to bring justice. And the reality is revenge sometimes looks like that, but much more often, it's in the small, everyday interactions that we have with people around us. Revenge, by definition, is simply the action of inflicting hurt or harm on someone for an injury or wrong suffered at their hands. It's inflicting hurt or harm on someone who's wronged you. And the definition, you'll notice, doesn't qualify the size of the hurt or the style of the harm. It's inflicting any hurt or harm on someone who's wronged you. I really appreciated Ashley's honesty in her column entry this week. Did you guys read this? I loved the story that she told about throwing a glass of water in her good friend's face in the heat of an argument. Can you believe we let her be a small group leader? <laughs> Unbelievable. Now, I have never opted for the classic glass of water in the face, but I have been known to throw many things at many people, especially my siblings growing up. And probably the most infamous item that I threw was a remote control that I threw at my brother in the heat of an argument. And we are now in our 30s. And to this day, if I pick up a remote control at my parents' house, my brother will cower and cover his head. He thinks he's hilarious. But the thing about those moments, and I don't know if you've had one of those moments, but in those moments where I've been so angry that I've thrown something at someone, the emotion that I'm experiencing is so powerful that I don't just feel compelled to throw that thing at that person. I feel like Joan of Arc on a holy mission from God to bring justice to the situation. It is such a powerful feeling. And that's the tricky thing about revenge. In the moment, revenge feels right. It feels like the right thing to do. So we take revenge. We do it with our words. We do it by cold distance that we put between ourselves and that person. We gossip about someone. We are so good at manipulating situations and relationships in a way that punishes that other person. Or even with physical violence, by hitting someone or throwing something at them or breaking something. That's how we take revenge. And Paul is making it very clear, do not take revenge ever. And I believe part of why Paul is teaching us this is because revenge doesn't work. 
It doesn't work, and we know this. We think revenge will bring us peace. We think it will fix the situation, but it won't. It won't, I promise you, it will not. In 2004, a group of Swiss researchers conducted an experiment. They wanted to study the effects of revenge on the brain. And so they put this experiment together where they paired people up and they had them play a game that had a financial prize. But then they had one of the partners wrong the other person by keeping the whole prize for themselves instead of splitting it with them evenly. So then they gave the participants who had been wronged the opportunity to take revenge on the person who had wronged them. And while they were plotting their revenge, they monitored their brain activity. And what they saw is that while that person was plotting their revenge, there was a rush of neural activity to the, I don't want to say this wrong, the caudate nucleus. It's an area of your brain that is a reward processing center. It's one of the areas of your brain that's lit up if you use cocaine. And so while we're plotting revenge, it feels good. It feels right. Maybe the saying is true, revenge is sweet. But then in 2006, there was another series of experiments led by Kevin Carlsmith of Colgate University, and he wanted to examine what the long-term effects of revenge are on the brain. And so they created a very similar experiment, and it was also a game that involved a financial prize, and then there was someone who wronged their group members, and then the group members had to decide if they were going to take revenge or not. They gave half of the people who'd been wronged the opportunity to take revenge, and the other half weren't even given the opportunity to take revenge on the person who'd wronged them. And so they saw the same result, that the people that were planning their revenge felt good about it in the moment. But then after they inflicted the revenge, what they saw was that the people who had taken revenge were less happy than the people who hadn't even been given an opportunity to take revenge. And they spent more time ruminating and thinking about the person who had wronged them than people who had not taken revenge. A 2011 article published by the Association of Psychological Science summarized both of these studies by saying, movies often portray the act of revenge as a way of gaining closure after a wrong, but in fact, revenge has the opposite effect. Even though the first few moments feel rewarding in the brain, psychological scientists have found that instead of quenching hostility, revenge prolongs the unpleasantness of the original offense. And then they quote Sir Francis Bacon, who said, a man that studieth revenge keeps his own wounds green, which otherwise would heal and do well. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I am not telling you that you should not take revenge because pop psychology says it's bad for you. I'm telling you you should not take revenge because that's what God commands us to do in his love, in his perfect word. Do not take revenge. He loves you and he's calling you to be transformed. And one of the ways that he wants to transform your life is to have you not take revenge on someone who's wronged you. So if we're not supposed to take revenge, what are we supposed to do when someone wrongs us? Well, Paul tells us in verses 20 and 21, and this is where it gets really, really difficult. He says, on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now, first, I want to comment on, comment on that last line of verse 20. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Because it's kind of a puzzling line of this verse a little bit. And what I found is that a lot 
of Bible scholars and authors and pastors disagree about this line in this verse. Now, some I've heard some pastors say that this verse means, or this line of this verse, means that if someone wrongs you and you show them mercy and they don't repent, then they've not only rejected God's mercy, but they've rejected your mercy, and so their suffering in hell will be greater. They think that's what that line means. I have a major problem with that interpretation because it assumes that all of my enemies are going to hell, which most of my enemies have been other Christians. So I have a problem with that, with that logic. But then I've also heard other people who struggle. They, it feels like a contradiction here. Like Paul is saying, do all these wonderful things, bless those who persecute you, but also dump burning coals on their head. And it feels confusing. And so I've heard people try to make it fit a little bit better. And there was this interpretation that was popular for a while where people said that there was this old tradition in Hebrew culture where people would carry bowls of burning coals on their head over to their neighbor's house if their fire had gone out so that they could help them light their fire. There is just no evidence that that ever existed in Hebrew culture. It would be nice It would make us feel better about this verse, but it just isn't true. I personally think the solution is much simpler. I don't believe Paul is making an argument for why we should or shouldn't bless someone who's hurt us. He's not telling us to do these things so that that person will suffer. See, Paul is quoting Proverbs 25, verses 21 through 22, and the book of Proverbs is a book of wise sayings that comment on the way things are. Paul is just pointing out, if you do good to someone who's hurt you, it is probably going to mess with them a little bit. It just will. Now, that may lead to repentance in their life, or it may make them even angrier. It may increase their sense of shame, making them even more intolerable. We don't know. But Paul isn't saying we should do good in order to get those results. He's simply pointing out the reality that when we do good to someone who's hurt us, it will probably mess with them. Now, we shouldn't spend our time trying to figure out how our blessing them will mess with them. Our job is just to bless them. It's virtually impossible to miss Paul's message because he reiterates it so many times. Bless those who persecute you. If your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Marja gave us such a great definition of what it means to bless a few weeks ago. She said, to bless can mean to consecrate, to render holy, to give honor or glory to something or someone as holy, to show favor. To bless someone is to do good things to them. It's to want good things for them. It's to speak good things into that person's life. And so how do we do that? How do we do that? I want to give us just some practical steps because sometimes the thought of blessing someone who's hurt us just feels too big, too difficult. We don't even know where to begin. So I hope that if you have a specific relationship in your mind, that as we go through some of these practical points, you'll be able to identify, that's the thing that I need to do, or that's the thing that I need to stop doing because it's not blessing that person. So I believe the first step in blessing someone is to offer them forgiveness. Whether or not that person has apologized whether or not that person even thinks they've done anything wrong, offer them forgiveness. Pastor Tim Keller says, the the essence of forgiveness is absorbing pain instead of giving it. And like Aisha, who forgave the damage that I did to her car, she's saying, I will pay it. You don't owe me anything. Debt 
canceled. And this is not easy because absorbing pain is not easy. And so in those moments where revenge feels so right, choosing not to take it and offering forgiveness instead, I wish I could tell you that it's going to feel awesome. It's probably not. It's probably going to feel more like swallowing a fireball in the moment, but it is the thing that will bring life in the end. Now, for some of us, the person that we need to forgive if they would just apologize, it wouldn't be that hard to forgive them. But for others of us, I know that there are situations and relationships in this room where forgiving that person is a much, much, much bigger deal than that because the way that that person hurt you is really, really intense. The wound that you have is really, really deep because the thing that they owe you, they could never repay. There's nothing they could do to give it back to you. It's the person who robbed you of the childhood that you should have had. It's the person who stole your innocence. It's the person who took years of your life from you. The person who betrayed your trust. The person who left you with deep emotional wounds that you are pretty sure are never going to heal. And it's the person who tarnished your reputation by dragging your name through the mud. And that has affected so many of your relationships and continues to. What has been taken from you? Because the first step is to identify it. What did that person take from you? Put it into words, write it down, identify it. And then ask God to help you cancel that debt. And say to that person, you don't owe me anymore. That's what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is not a feeling. Forgiveness is a decision. Forgiveness is a transaction. Saying, you don't owe me anymore. And then, as if that wasn't enough, we're called to bless them, to go beyond that forgiveness and to bring good things into that person's life. So I want to give you four practical ways to bless someone, especially someone who's hurt you. And listen, some of you are thinking, yeah, right. Just the thought of offering forgiveness is totally overwhelming to you. And I want you to know that's okay. That is okay. You don't have to leave here rushing out of here, skipping and celebrating and saying, I'm going to forgive everyone and I'm just going to bless all these people who've wronged me. That's not real life. It's okay if you're not there yet. But I want to encourage you to write these things down anyway. And to ask, is there a way that I could take a small step or maybe a couple small steps to bless someone who's hurt you? So the first practical way that we can bless someone, and this is pretty obvious, is to do good things for them. So if your enemy's hungry, you feed him. If he's thirsty, you give him something to drink. What does the person who has wronged you need? Are they lonely? Are they sick? Are they lost? How can you give your time, your energy, maybe even some, in some cases your money, to bless that person, to do good to them? The second way is to say good things to them. And again, this is hard, but in most relationships, I think if we search our soul, we can find some way that that person has had a positive effect on our lives. Are there things that you can identify where you could say, you know what, as much as you've hurt me, you've had a positive impact on my life in this way. 
Here are some things that I see in you that I appreciate about you. Here are some of the things that I've learned from you. Speak those things to that person in a way that lifts them up and gives them life. And then don't just say good things to them. Number three is really hard in my opinion. Say good things about them, like when they're not around. <laughs> and this is really hard. I mean, I would rather say something good to someone and then go vent all my real feelings to my trusted friends. But what would it look like if you started to say good things about that person? If instead of venting all of your thoughts about them, you held those back, you swallowed that fireball, and instead you chose to focus on the positive things about that person, and those were the things that you shared with other people. And then the last practical way to bless someone is to pray for good things for them. Notice I didn't say pray about them. You're probably already doing that. God, please change that horrible person. Please punish them. Those burning coals would be great right about now. You can already see her hair catching on fire and just feels really good. Don't pray that God punish that person. Pray that God bless that person. Paul makes it clear, when you receive evil, return that evil with good. Someone owes you something, cancel the debt. Someone makes your life miserable, you do what you, you can to make their life better. And this is hard. This makes me go, really, really? But my situation is different. Maybe someday I'll get there, but not right now, not today. It's too fresh, it's too hard, it's too painful. But I love the last line of Romans 12 because it gives us hope. How could we possibly do these things to the people that have hurt us? It's found in verse 21 where Paul says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good because evil cannot ever overcome evil. And we know this from experience, but in the heat of the moment, we are so convinced that revenge is the best option, whether it's big or small revenge, it feels so right in the moment. And we think that it will set things right. We think that it will fix the problem, that it will heal our pain, that it will make the world a better place. That's how it feels in the moment, but we know that it won't. It will prolong our own pain. It will keep our wounds from healing, and it will probably make the situation worse. It will continue that cycle of repaying evil for evil for evil for evil, and it goes on and on and on. But in Christ, we are being given the opportunity to overcome evil with good. And I can tell you from experience that nothing, nothing has healed my broken heart in situations where someone has wronged me. Situations where my wounds have felt so deep that I've, I've thought, I will never heal from this. I will never recover from this pain, from this betrayal. Time with a counselor has been invaluable to me. Time with trusted family and friends, I cannot imagine healing without it. But the thing that has brought me the most healing is blessing the person that has hurt me. Praying for good things for that person. Pray that God blesses their family. Pray that God blesses their health. Pray that God gives them success, even though you'd love to see them fail. It would feel so good to see them fail. Pray for success for that person and then tangibly bless them. When you see him or her, speak words of life and love to them. As hard as it is, 
hold your tongue from speaking poorly about that person. I know how difficult that is. There have been times where I've tried to hold those words in, but then someone around me starts speaking poorly of the person that I'd love to speak poorly about. And it's like they're scratching the itch for me and I lean in a little bit. And I'm like, well, I'm not doing it, but I'm gonna listen because it just feels good if just for a moment to be like, yeah, what they did was wrong and they're horrible, right? But it doesn't bring healing. That scratching just opens the wound back up. And I find myself thinking about the situation, thinking about the hurt, ruminating in the pain more than I was before that happened. Refuse to say negative things about that person. Choose to speak words of life about them when they're not around. And then as you have opportunity, bless them. And this seems crazy, but meet their practical needs. Are they lonely? Are they sick? Are they lost? Are they hungry? Are they thirsty? As far as it depends on you, bless that person. Do what you can to meet their needs. And remember, all of this is possible because of God's mercy in our lives. While we were God's enemies, he sent his son Jesus. And if you think about it, Jesus blessed us in all of these same ways. He fed the hungry. He healed the sick. He spoke words of love and truth to massive crowds of people. And then he prayed for us. Even when he was being crucified, crying out to the Father, he prayed for us that God would forgive us because we know now what we are doing. And it's that forgiveness extended to you and to me that gives us life both now and for eternity. And so when God calls us to do these things, we know that it is possible because Jesus extended that grace and that mercy and that blessing to us. Jesus paid our debts for us. He died a horrible death, not just a physical death, but a spiritual death, separated from his father so that he could look at you and he could look at me and he could say, debt canceled. And as he transforms you into the image of his son, he will give you the strength that you need to look at that person who's hurt you and say, debt canceled. I'm going to choose to bless you instead of take revenge. And the good news is, as I've said so many times, he calls you to do this because he loves you. And he knows that this is what will bring you real healing. He's trustworthy. So let's pray and then we'll have some group time. Oh God, this is hard. There are so many relationships that come to mind for me this morning where I know you're asking me to take steps. And it feels impossible to me. And even though you've shown me so many times that this is the way that leads to life, this is the way that leads to healing, it's still really, really difficult. So we need your strength. We need your grace. Remind us this morning that you paid our debts for us. That you took the debt that we owed you. You paid it. And then you bless us. You give us life. Help us to do that for people who have wronged us. And I do pray, God, that we would find healing. We love you and we trust you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.